Would you do whatever it took to become a professional footballer? Would you leave your family and friends behind to travel across Europe and play for teams in leagues that nobody has heard of? The fourth tier of Swedish football, the third and fourth divisions in Cyprus, and all of this by the age of just 21. Hello Elliot and welcome to Engage. Hi, uh, thanks for having me, it's a pleasure. Absolutely my pleasure uh, entirely. Um, now Elliot uh, Dugan, you are dubbed the LinkedIn footballer. You're um, somebody who was brought to my attention back in September 2021 when you had uh, some national press coverage um, where you were given that moniker having used uh, that platform to um, find yourself a new football club after you'd um, found yourself uh, released by Swindon Town at um, the age of, of just 18. So it was a, a story that really intrigued me and um, I, I've been wanting to um, chat to you about this for, for a long time. Even when I was thinking about uh, starting the Engage show, uh, you were one of the, the, the people who I had in mind um, to, to chat to, to, to share your story. So I'm, um, you know, I'm, I'm really pleased that uh, you, you've agreed to, to come on here um, with me today. So what I thought would be really interesting as well is, is to get your insight as a young footballer who's you know, trying to make their mark in the game and just telling you your story, sharing your experiences about that, and perhaps sharing what it takes to become successful in what is a, a really ruthless industry. Yeah. Um, so before we we kind of talk about all of that, um, I, I'd just like to start off with with getting a bit of background um, information uh, about you. So could you tell us a little bit about um, where you, where you come from and where you grew up? Yeah. Uh, so I was born in Bath pretty much lived there my whole life um, and to be honest since taking football more seriously uh, from the age of 15 before that, I was just playing Sunday league Saturday league uh, development football with stint academies uh, and then from 13 onwards is kind of when my football really picked up in terms of getting recognised and kind of like realizing I have a bit of ability and thinking that I can actually do this as as a job it was potentially there after I had a stint with uh, West Brom, uh, I trialed there and it went really well. But it was just traveling was too far and my family and stuff. It was a massive commitment and at thirteen, fourteen, training like three times a week, going up to the Midlands and back. It's obviously it's hard to do and. And then at the same time, I had an offer from uh, Southampton Football Club to go down there. And I remember Rod Riddick came to my house uh, and sat down with me and my family and spoke about what they liked about me, how he saw me and and, um, and just what he, he really liked how I played. And he said that he could see me having a big future and someone like that in the game. Uh, the guy who scouted Gareth Bale. So if he's saying that to you and he says that you, you've got a lot of talent, then like, you have to kind of take it seriously. And I went down to Southampton for uh, 10 days and trained there and stuff. But I wouldn't say I trained poorly or anything. Just nothing materialised from it. I got offered to Yeovil. And, but for me, that didn't feel right. Um, and I decided just to stay with my Saturday side uh, and then the season after I got offered by Swindon Town or Bristol Rovers and I was at Bristol Rovers when I was younger and it didn't really materialise myself there and it wasn't the right fit for me and try something new at Swindon it was one of the best things I ever ever chose to be honest. Okay so it sounds like um, you'd always been in into football even as a as a, a young kid as well, um, were you always playing football at school and just just trying to play and, and practice uh, whenever you could uh, during your your youth? Oh, I was a nightmare. I was I was outside all the time. I was oh god, as a kid, I was in the playground every day. I remember I used to go into school early with my nan. She'd take me and my brother in early just so I could go play football in the playground for an hour. I come into primary school and I was absolutely 
knackered because I've just been playing football for hours just outside and in the summer in my estate there's a uh, there's a bit of grass a little grass patch at the top of it I remember there were six of us my older brother younger brother his friends and our friends we used to play football from about four about nine in the morning till nine in the evening with my mates we just, everything we used to do was football orientated and that's literally been like, the biggest factor of my life since the age of four um but honestly it's just yeah i just haven't stopped playing <laughs> did you always play as a, a striker <sighs> funnily enough no i've literally played everywhere on a football pitch except the fullback uh i remember for swindon under 18s i had to go and goal and play and, uh, against oxford in the derby game and saved the free kick at the last minute um I played. I started off as a centre mid, funnily enough, um, but I was just scoring goals. I remember my first ever game was for Bath Arsenal under fives or sixes, and I just scored. I think it was like three or four goals, and as I was just scoring a stupid amount of goals as a, as a midfielder. So I think one guy just took a look and went, "Oh, he'll do it up front because he's big, quick, and he can put the ball in the net." So I've kind of just been playing there ever since, to be honest. What uh, team did you support then when you were growing up? Uh, I support Man United, unfortunately, at the minute. That's not the uh, best team to support. But to be honest, I, I only supported them because my um, older brother used to support them. And I was just seeing him support them and I seen his shirt and stuff. And I just ended up supporting them. And I loved, I remember at the time, I loved Wayne Rooney. He was like someone I adored as a, when I was younger. I just used to watch him. I was just like, wow. What a footballer. Yeah, I think uh, for any young footballer who has, uh, I suppose, aspirations of playing in those more forward roles, then Wayne Rooney would have been uh, an ideal um, sort of role model, I guess, because he he was playing first team football very young and he played with that that really fearless style uh, where defenders just hated playing against him and he, he was uh, you know a reasonably prolific goal scorer as well so yeah it's uh, it's no surprise then i think that uh, that you admired him were there any other players then that um that, that you liked to watch growing up as i got older i um well obviously i used to love ronaldo watching being man and stuff I used to love watching him and i went to watch him live but um I used to love, at around 13 to 15, I used to love Gareth Bale. I was obsessed with Gareth Bale. Like, I had his boots, I had the shirt, I had, I even copied his hair, I had everything. I was obsessed with him and I was just like, I want to be Gareth. I just wanted to be like Bale because we had similar attributes of being big, quick, athletic and he just moved to Real Madrid and he was playing for Tottenham and just got the move and he was scoring so many goals. I was like, that's that's what I want to play like and obviously now he's kind of not at the level that he was which is unfortunate but it's, he, but as a footballer growing up I used to just think wow what a player like he was he was unplayable he was just you couldn't play against him yeah he has a an interesting story of his own though because I remember when when he first um, he, he was first playing for Tottenham. That, that he was he was struggling, and the press were getting on his back, and they were were saying that basically whenever he played, that Tottenham would lose. Uh, there was a thought at one time that he was going to get bombed out to to Birmingham because Tottenham were playing him at, at left back, I think, at the time. And uh, yeah, the, the the change that he had was was remarkable, and went on to become one of the the, the world's best players. So um, again, I think he he would have been a a fantastic role model for uh, any any uh, young player uh, look, looking to um, to emulate uh, somebody else's success. Um, what I also wanted to ask you as well, then, so so when you were in you were in school, presumably you were playing for the, for the school team and, and all that kind of thing as well. Were you the best player at, at school, or at what point did you think, well, you know, I'm actually quite good compared to everybody else, and maybe I would be good enough to to make it in the game. My, to be honest, my school team, I probably technically I wasn't the best player, like technical wise, I wasn't the best player. We had such a great team, uh, Beach and Cliff. We had people from Bristol City, from Yeovil, uh, and we, we, we had a lot of rugby players that played football but were still technically decent. 
but for me in my game and as I was younger like obviously my game understanding changed and as I've got older and I've been in the game a bit more I've kind of understood more aspects of the game from when I was younger I just I literally just thought like I just wanted to score <laughs> like I'd go on the pitch and I would just I'd score three and it would just I'd be I'd be all right and like if I didn't score I was just so annoyed at myself because it was for me I just like the only reason I play football is to score and I think that's what's kind of helped me through my career and obviously I've got a knack for scoring but like you have to as a striker I believe like you have to want to score obviously now I'm now I've kind of experienced a bit more and understand I've got to do more as a striker in, in a game but you've still I've still got a knack of wanting to score and like that hunger to get yourself in the box and make that run um but yeah the age I'd, I'd say probably is when I was getting into my early teen teenage years and I realized I was at Sunday league I remember scoring about 75 goals in a season I just went, I think and then everyone was telling me that oh well obviously you're you're decent and stuff like that and I was, I was always played like Saturday league development football which was a good standard and I represented the county and stuff like that and I think when I got to that kind of 13, 14 I was getting offers from professional clubs and stuff and there was interest it was like okay, I think I need to kind of pursue this I mean it was always in my plans to be a footballer but you know the odds are just like they're so stacked against you it's just it's, it's just hard work and that kind of dedication that gets you to where you want to be. But you did get that initial break. You signed um, a scholarship at Swindon Town. Can you tell us a little bit about what a scholarship actually is then in terms of being a young player? Yeah, so I mean, some of the older viewers, they're probably, who played at that level, it was probably known as a YTS or schoolboy. Um, so you do, you do your years in the youth team and then at 16, you go have a meeting with the club and they tell you if they want to keep you as a scholar or you get released. And it was, I remember the meeting was just, it's a horrible feeling like going into the meeting because it's like everything you've kind of done is riding on this meeting. And it's kind of, it is for a lot of people, make or break. Like they, they get a rejection and then they kind of just pack in football and I say, okay, well, it's not for me and go to college and stuff like that or they kind of kick on and get other places but yeah you do your meeting and I sat down with Alan McLaughlin um, and I just had such a good relationship with him and he taught me so much as a player and he set good habits for me because he was on my case a lot because he wanted me to do well and at the time I was thinking he's on me again but I knew that he wanted the best for me because I had a, such a good relationship with him and he taught me like he taught me loads of knacks of football playing such a high level playing the two world cups and playing for Portsmouth and stuff like that and when someone like that speaks to you you have to listen and um yeah I had him as my first year and it went really well I scored like 20 goals and and at the end of the meeting I had with the club they kind of promised a lot and kind of said if you keep going how you going like you're gonna make a debut and stuff like that and like we're gonna get you in and around it and you're gonna be a real threat and like we're gonna push you through and like when you hear that at 17 years old you're like you don't really know what to think like it's hard to keep yourself grounded but obviously the next season I had a different coach come in and we didn't really, I wouldn't say we had the best relationship and it kind of showed on the pitch and then I stopped playing as much and I mean I was with the first team in pre-season, I was on the bench against West Brom and played against Chippenham Town and I was thinking maybe you know I'm going to be involved and played in, played in front of like a few fans and stuff and it just that season was just, it was just such a big learning curve in my career in terms of I wasn't getting the games I wanted to and I got glandular fever and I was out for months with that and it was just such a hard season for me and obviously at the end of it you go into your meeting and they say we don't want to keep you or offer you a pro contract and it's it's heartbreaking because you put your whole 
life into something you've moved the areas and you're training every day and you, you've got an experience of what it's like to play professional football and it, when it doesn't materialize it's it's a horrible feeling yeah so how did that uh, how, how does that process work then when uh, i i'm assuming you come into the end of that scholarship then that two-year period uh, what what is the, the the process then with is it again a case of they decide to, to keep you and offer you a professional contract or they they let you go it's actually like your scholar meeting they'll either say yeah we want to offer you a pro deal and or it's no sorry you're not good enough for us and well for mine it was a weird one because they said that i was good enough but i just needed more time to develop and kind of and just get myself more experience and stuff and i kind of saw the positives in it and i was i was thinking about it and i was thinking okay well i'm good enough i just need to develop more and just get a bit more experience in the game and stuff and um i just it didn't it it did affect me a bit because i was obviously upset about it's, it's a horrible feeling. It's like it's honestly the worst feeling I've ever had in football. Like it's, it's horrible. Okay, so after you you'd got released, that was after you'd scored forty five goals across the two seasons as um, as part of your scholarship. So, do you think then that you know all things considered that Swindon made the right decision in releasing you, give, given that you were were so prolific? across those two seasons and that goal scoring strikers are something of a, of a premium in the prof- professional game it's hard it's, it's hard to say like if they made the right decision i mean if you look where i'm at now and the journey i've had it's kind of like yeah because i know the lads that had their, their pro contracts you know they were they were great players and a lot of them have kind of playing non-league football now playing national league style for Evo stick or even lower uh, some of the lads like who are doing uni and stuff and but they're all great players and if you like my experience of I've managed to stay in full time pretty much since I've been out um, I think I think it is the right decision I don't think I was ready for League Two first team football because I wasn't experienced enough I needed to learn things I need to be in with men's football every day and Scoring goals is only one part of being a striker and you have to learn so many attributes to become an effective striker because when you're not scoring and you're on a bit of a barren run, you need to do other things for the team. And I think it was just, for me, it's been a case of learning those kind of parts of my trade and applying them into, uh, into obviously, the team that I come into. And every striker has it at one point where you you're not scoring as regularly as you like, and you've got to do these other bits of the team, and that's kind of the knack that was holding me back for a while. Because you don't learn, for, well, obviously when I was growing up, hold-up play and stuff and link play wasn't really a massive part of the strike, it was just goals. Whereas now, in terms of, you've got Harry Kane, Lukaku and people like that, that hold-up play become a massive thing for a striker. And for me, I've just been learning how to use my body, the body shape, and I've been asking the senior players uh, clubs I've been at like what can I do like how do I do it better and what what's the best thing for me and yeah I'd say that's it really I wouldn't say that there was a right decision but I think I've, I've made the best of what happened <laughs> yeah that, that sounds fair enough but you weren't out of the game for very long you were released by Swindon Town and then in July 2019 you ended up going to Sweden. You played in the fourth tier of Swedish football for a team. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing this right. I did try to try to look it up on the internet. Uh, Uta Hodal. I tried to find out a bit about them, but all I could find from Wikipedia was that they're, they're a village team with a, a population of about 500 people. So uh, the, the obvious question here is, how did you end up going out to play in the you know the, the lower reaches of Swedish football? Well, they won a attempt at uh, pronunciation. It was actually Ita Hogdal. But that wasn't too bad. I've, I've heard a lot of names being butchered, but that wasn't too bad. Um, yeah, so the LFE offer um, a placement program for our scholars. Um, so you've got 
your different categories of scholar. You've got Cat 3, which is your Swindons, um, Swindon, Bristol Rovers, Tranmere's, like those League 2, maybe League League 1 clubs. Uh, you've got Cat 2, which is uh, like Colchester and places like that. Um, and then Cat 1's, obviously, you've got your Man United, Man City's, Chelsea's. Um, so for the Cat 1's and 2's, a lot of players went to um, Spain. Um, played in lower division Spain and uh, my agent at the time actually knew one of the guys out there and um, he kind of said to me about it and they said okay well we'll take him through the LFE placement program because it was all it was easier to do and a lot less hassle and this is obviously before Brexit so we could just move around Europe easy enough um, and yeah, I ended up going up there for five months and that was like my first real experience of being away from home because Swindon's just a 40 minute drive or 20 minute train. So this was like, I was in the sticks in the middle of nowhere of Sweden and it was a six hour, I remember six hour drive on the bus from the airport and it was just, it was brutal. Away games were horrible. It was, I remember one game where you were nine hours there stayed the night and then nine hours back and that was oh it was just brutal it was a brutal period do you think that was actually worth it then when you were doing that really long bus journey then nine hours there overnight nine hours back playing in the fourth division of, of swedish football did it ever cross your mind that perhaps you'd have been better off staying in the uk and playing non-league football rather than um going over to sweden to, to play in in uh, that sort of environment it crossed my mind the thought of obviously it's nice to be back in the UK and stuff, but for me there's not massives masses of teams that are a good level in that non-league period. You've got Bath City National League South and Poulton Rovers, and uh, I think it's Evo Stick Southern and Radstock Town and Odd Down and stuff like that and. For me, I just I wanted to be focused on my football, and I I was weighing up my options and stuff. And I thought, well, if I play at this level, I have to probably have to get a job and stuff. And obviously, training's like once a week, and is that going to be the best thing for me? Because I just wanted to train and improve. And I thought, well, if I'm in a full-time environment, training every day. Um, when you weigh it up, it's like I need to. I need to think what's best for myself and I think that was the right decision at the time and I mean the, the bus journey was worth it because I scored that game so yeah well, I think yeah then it was worth it but um, I wouldn't I wouldn't change anything that I've done in like in terms of choices in my career maybe a couple of things maybe I would have done differently but that's the, that's the joy of being a young player you, you're learning so any job when you, you start off you you're gonna make mistakes and wish you'd done stuff differently at the start but as you get older and you've seen more more with your head and you think about other factors whereas when you're a young player it's just well for me it's just more with your heart because you're so committed to it and you, you sometimes just you just so you want something so bad and you want to prove to people stuff and yeah that's yeah it was worth it yeah so i just get yeah, sidetracked yeah, that, that is a, an interesting perspective, though, because you do see a lot of young players from the English leagues who, who go to places like Sweden and Finland and, and Iceland and end up playing in, in their lower divisions there. And for, for me, who's not a professional footballer, you, you do tend to think what what's in it for them from a, a football perspective i guess because surely that the standard of football would be would be higher in the uk but that's really interesting there what you say there that that it's more of that full-time environment whereas if you did stay and play uh, non-league in england then for example that you wouldn't actually be playing that much football on a on a day-to-day -day basis in terms of the training so yeah that make that makes a lot of sense now and <laughs> and yeah, uh, yeah that uh, that gives a a lot more perspective to things in January 2020, I mean, that's when things started to change, when, when COVID hit. And was it soon after that? Was that when all of the, the English non-league um, teams had to stop playing? Was that part of the timeline that you were involved in? Yeah, so it was, it was a weird one because I was at Poulton and I played 
I think I played a couple games for Poulton and I remember scoring one game and it was it was against Mangotsfield and and then uh, I went on loan to Oddown Football Club and and it, for me it wasn't the best time in my career. I didn't really enjoy it and for me I just wanted to enjoy my football and it was something that oh, I was just a bit like uh, I didn't I and I hated feeling like it. I just didn't really enjoy the the games, the training, uh, and I asked to the club if I could go to Radstock on on loan because I kind of I've been there before. Like I go there in pre-season and do training with them just to get myself taken over before I go in and or I go away somewhere. And I knew a lot of people at the club and they had a really good setup at the club because I remember playing an under-18s game for Radstock. I was still at Swindon at the time. But I just wanted to play games, and obviously I'd just come back from Glanger Thieves, so Swindon had to sign a day loan for so I could play this game. And the manager, Brett Partner, knew me, and he was at Bristol City at the time, and the setup there was it was unbelievable. But, um, and there was, the coaches were well educated, and they had great philosophy, and the players were decent. And I think I played about two games, and then yeah, COVID hit, and I think that's when everything just kind of got packed in. And after that, then, was that when you found yourself working for the Royal Mail? Yeah, um, that was a good experience. That was my first proper job, um, delivering about 200 parcels a day. And I just remember going in on my first day thinking, I'm not going to have a clue what to do. I'm gonna, I was thinking, I'm going to absolutely play in front of hundreds of people and deal with loads of abuse, but I'm more thinking I'm going to mess up when I'm delivering a parcel to someone's front door. At that point then, did you think that your career was over at, at the age of 18, 19? I didn't really think about it like that. No. Um, because it was just such an extraordinary circumstance and never really been seen in, like, well, in my lifetime or like anyone that I know's lifetime. It was... I just kind of saw it as this is like a break and and it kind of made me appreciate football more in terms of working and once I kind of done my, I, I enjoyed my time at the Royal Mail and everyone was cut we were on a temping placement and um, yeah just people were asking me like well, we were getting to know each other and everyone was asking me what do you do I said well I play football normally but when you have no club and you God knows when you're going to get back through the door. You kind of need to get yourself sorted. And it kind of really gave me that hunger and desire after I kind of lost it a bit. I wouldn't, actually, I wouldn't say lost hunger and desire. It was, it was lost the um, enjoyment. I kind of lost the value and appreciation for it. And working those long hours and doing those 200 parcels a day, it kind of made me go, right, I, I do really want to do this. And I don't want to be doing this again. So yeah, I've just been putting my mind to it properly and just trying to get as focused as I can on it ever since. And I suppose that leads us then to to LinkedIn. Um, who whose idea was it then to to use LinkedIn to try to get you back into full time football? I'll tell you what, I gotta give my mate a massive shout out, uh, Mike Merheavy. He he put me on LinkedIn. He told me about it a year before and I kind of looked at it and went, Oh, I'm never gonna use that. It was one of those apps where yeah, I'll download it. Never touched it. And he he told me about this, oh, it's a great way to get connections and stuff and at the time well, my old agent was just it wasn't very good and I kind of I didn't have an agent at the time and I realised I got kind of messed about by this guy and I thought well I'm gonna I reckon I can do a better job and yeah I just remember one day I asked my dad I sent him a letter I'd written up on notes and I said is this is this all right and and uh, he kind of said oh well I'll change this change this and stuff and yeah, I just remember that's when it kind of started. I sent it off to everyone and I made like a little list in my notes of who I'd contacted in countries and I like, just categorised everything. So I knew 
what kind of everything was. Yeah. So, what sort of leagues or, or countries and you know the the standard of of the football? What um, you, you don't necessarily have to name anybody specific, but what were the the types of teams you were trying to make contact with? I had I did USL, USL one, USL two. Uh, everywhere around Europe, if they, if they were a full time club, I was I was messaging them basically because I knew I knew that it was unlikely to get a response. Like, like I I had a feeling I wasn't getting to get a single response. Uh, how many messages would you say that you'd sent out? It was in the hundreds. It was in the hundred, well over the hundreds. It was I sent loads out, and that kind of shows you like how committed you have to be to do it. Because if you sent off a hundred or even fifty messages and you don't get a reply, and you, you can get disheartened. But for me, I just kept going, and I remember seeing five replies, ten replies, fifteen replies, and it was like, wow, uh, this is actually achieving something. How long was it then before you got your, your first reply back from uh, the messages that you were sending out? A few days, I think about four or five days. Um, and I just remember thinking, I can't remember who the first club was to respond. And then once one came in, they all started to kind of come in then and follow suit. So you were getting some responses back quite quickly uh, overall then. Were you getting any concrete offers uh, at that stage? <sighs> Nothing nothing to the point where it was we've got a contract for you come sign I remember I had a couple of scam ones replied in uh, like Thailand and places like that and saying oh if you pay uh, £500 then I'll send the contract over and stuff like that and obviously it's just wasting my time and and it was more just because I was asking in the message can I come in for a trial and kind of train because I knew it was kind of, it's hard to get a concrete offer. And you've never seen someone, all I had was clips from Swindon and a little bit from Sweden. But like, it was kind of, especially with COVID and money was kind of um, unsure. And a lot of clubs just said, you can come in and trial, and, which is fair enough. And um, yeah, that, I didn't really get anything concrete. Okay, so what made you choose uh, APEA? Uh, Akrotiri, then the the Cypriot team, who at the time they were playing in uh, the fourth division of Cyprus, were, was that uh, the kind of offer that they made you then that they agreed for you to to come over and have a trial with them? Yeah, so the way it was kind of worded, it was like it was kind of worded as if it was as long as you can kick a ball and you're not terrible, we'd be interested. It kind of felt like that, like because it was a project and they got back to me pretty quick and the manager at the time was he was um i was speaking to him on linkedin and i was still obviously sending other messages i ended up messaging the president at the same time as well so um yeah it was so they got kind of got confused then but i went over and did my um did my trial and it was literally about a week not even a week and they kind of just said yeah we'll, we'll take you because i was i was just i was banging goals in and training and I looked sharp and the project when I signed was something that looked really good. It was getting the club from the fourth division to the second division. Um, and I believe they just got promoted recently. So a few of my mates still there and stuff and they're really enjoying it, which is good. Yeah, you, you, saw, you scored 26 goals in 30 appearances. I, I think I've read on a couple of different reports, different goal numbers. Uh, but uh, if, if you could uh, clarify that that uh, that figure, that, that would be great. But did you think then, having scored that many goals in, in one season, did you think that that standard of football was perhaps a bit below your level? Well, it's funny enough because the season got suspended with COVID. So we only played about seven league games and I got four goals in the league, which... It's a good return and stuff. And in pre-season, we were playing a lot of Division Two teams. We ended up playing the team that went up to Division One, uh, flying in Division One at the minute. And I remember playing them, and I didn't feel uncomfortable. And I remember Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank was in the stand at that game because he knew the owner. And um, 
Yeah, I think like, I gave a good account myself to one of the, one of the best strikers in the Premier League. Um, but yeah, I just remember I scored loads of goals. I was we played like top first divisions reserve teams in pre-season. Just I scored a hat trick, and we played Payek, who are playing Division One now. I scored on my debut against them, and I was scoring goals for absolute fun in pre-season. And the season hit, and I scored a few, and I only went three games without scoring, which was which was a decent decent run. Um, and then the season just got suspended with COVID. I remember we were all kind of waiting in our apartment block together, and we heard that it was suspended. And it was just it was a weird time because we were doing uh, we were just doing training, and we weren't really meant to be training and stuff like that. And if there was a car coming by, then we kind of had to stop training and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, we could have gone one or two ways really. I could have kind of packed my bags and gone home because of um it was covid and there was curfew and stuff and obviously that we weren't really training and we weren't playing games for a bit and the club were kind of thinking of right well if we can't do this we'll let them go home and um yeah the league kind of messed the club about messed us about and they kind of kept saying it's going to be it's going to be on it's going to be on it's going to be on and then it got to a point where it was may and they were gonna have to play about 20 games in may which is a deal. So, yeah, then the league got scrapped and we're playing behind closed doors games against better opposition than we would in in the league. And I was still scoring absolute goals for fun. And, and yeah, it was just, it was, it was good. It was really good. It was probably one of the first points in men's football that I was loving football and I had that enjoyment of everything was just, it just, it just flowed from it. Were you the only uh, British player playing for the club at the time? No, there was loads of foreigners. It was we had Dutch lads, English lads, uh, where else did we have? Finnish lads. We had lads from everywhere, and there was about me and we had a load of English lads at the start, but a couple went home and during the season and didn't come back out. And my housemate was English. We had Australian lads. We had a massive mix of everyone. Really, it was. It was a good environment because they were all young lads and we were all full time and we had some Cypriot older players and yeah it was it was a really good good uh, setup. Oh wow, okay. Because one of the questions I was going to ask you was, you know, how how did you you cope of being a you know a, a British guy out in a foreign country by yourself playing for a you know for a, a lower division team then? But it, it sounds like you, you weren't really by yourself at all then. If uh, if if there were a lot of uh, uh, you know, other other people you could, um, you know, mix with on a, a day-to-day basis. Yeah, no, it was, and where I was in Cyprus is near a lot of the English people anyway. Quite a lot of them based in Limassol with different bits and bobs based there. Um, so it was basically like being in England just for better weather, to be honest. And when your time then at uh, the team was, was coming to an end, was there any interest, perhaps back from the UK at that point? Uh, had any, uh, you know, anyone gotten wind of y- your prolific goal scoring uh, during your time there? I wouldn't say so. My agent at the time, uh, he mentioned uh, a few names back in the UK, but nothing where it was concrete. There's a contract, sign it, and we'll get you there. Um, I was remember I was training with. Uh, one of the second division teams, I can't remember their name now. Oh, um, but they were quite high up. Uh, and they had interest. Well, I got told they had interest in me earlier on in the season. And I had a couple of other division three, division two clubs sniffing around. And I went in and trained with them, with my mate. Um, and it was Alki or Kalini, that's who it was. And, um, yeah, they're like a kind of like a Norwich in the split really to kind of up and down yo yo first and second division. And um I went in and trained there full time with them and I did really well. I tore it up, I was scoring goals and training, showing them what I what I had and I remember the manager was like, You've done really well, probably gonna offer you a contract but at the time the club was in a financial takeover. They had a new owner coming in, other one coming out and 
there was that uncertainty of like are we going to sign him or not because the new owner was a Scottish fella and kind of spoke to him once and it was kind of just waiting to see what he does at the end of the season does he keep the manager and the staff or does he just get rid of the playing squad and he ended up getting rid of the manager and nothing it just kind of fell through really after getting basically said we're going to give you a deal and that's the manager was like well I'm going to take you where I want to go where I go and I was waiting the whole of this off season of the transfer window and he wasn't going there I wasn't hearing anything and and then he ended up I signed for a different team and then he messaged me a week after what was the way it goes though but you, you signed then for Kouris Hermes who were in the third division uh, of Cyprus when you were playing for them did you notice you know a step up in quality overall or, or did you find that fairly comfortable to, to be honest, I wouldn't say it was better. And I think my old team was better than than Chris, to be honest, in terms of standard, because we would we had a lot of full time players in. Because some of the lads obviously work and stuff, and kind of doing two things at once, training in the evenings. And I remember playing in pre season against my old team. I remember scoring like the best goal I've ever scored in my life. It was. At the edge of the box, the ball got diagged over and I've chested it between two defenders and volleyed it in the top corner. And they had the uh, VO camera to film the games. And, uh, I remember t- they told me after the game, oh, the camera cut out and I was absolutely fuming. It was honestly the best goal I've ever scored. And it, I have no, no video evidence of it at all. I was absolutely fuming because honestly, it was generally the best goal I've ever scored. Yeah, that would have been a fantastic addition then to your highlights reel for, you know, if, you, if you're using uh, the social media to try to engineer any any further moves in in future. Uh, you scored about 10 goals uh, for uh, Aramis and you then decided to, to leave in January of, of this year, January 2022. So what was the decision behind that? Uh, it was... There's a lot of things going on behind the scenes I don't really know if I can kind of talk about. Um, a lot of stuff was happening to myself, especially. Um, just little things, that, and it, was, it wasn't it was a great environment to be in. And yeah, it just wasn't, it wasn't great at all. And to be honest, I had offers from them in the off-season a few times, but I didn't really want to go. It wasn't my really key destination and then as I kind of got messed up back more in pre-season they kept offering and I just kind of took it and it wasn't the right fit for me it really wasn't I should I had a lot better offers that were a better fit and didn't take it and um yeah I had a couple of division two offers but I didn't take it at the time because it was just uh personal stuff we couldn't really agree but yeah um yeah just to start, uh, I decided with the club that it was best that we part ways and kind of did our own thing really because it just wasn't working out at all. Were you using LinkedIn again then uh, after you decided that you were going to leave the, the team to try to, to find your next move? At the, originally, no, I was, I was using my current agent and um, I kind of, I was kind of relying on him a bit and then I just, I just thought I'll give it, I'll give it like another another go and kind of keep using LinkedIn and and I'll give it another shot and yeah I remember the manager at the current club kind of well the assistant manager at the time requested to follow like be my connection on LinkedIn and, and I, I remember seeing it I was thinking if he's off if he's he's obviously something there and I, I slept on it accepted it and slept on it the night and then I messaged him the next day and then within an hour the manager was basically speaking about a contract yeah so it's amazing how the these opportunities um present themselves was that uh, matthew tipton that you you were speaking yeah. with yeah yeah I, I remember him from from back in the day because i think he's a, about my sort of age and i remember that he was a welsh under 21 uh, footballer uh, many years ago okay so at that time as well was there any interest perhaps from teams in either England or, or Scotland or or was uh, the, the move to uh, Portadown one of the the first sort of real offers that, that you had? Well, well, 
Merchant was talking about going to Scotland and stuff like that. And it was like League One in Scotland, which is still a good standard. And I wasn't sure because it was, it was just sounded a lot of, like, it was just a lot of stuff to consider. And at the time, I was actually training with Dartford um, in the National League. And I was going in there um, every week and staying at my dad's because he was based up that way. But it was just too hard. I wasn't getting anything concrete. I was training them really well and I was playing really well and they wanted to see me in the game, which was kind of fair enough. And I just couldn't get a game. We couldn't get organised and they didn't know when the next one was going to be. And it was costing me a lot of money to get up and down to Dartford on a on a weekly basis. And with no club, it's kind of like, it's not ideal. And um, yeah, just I remember this came up and it was, I had a few offers from, I had an offer in the Maltese Prem uh, I've had a couple of bits from abroad and I had Cypriot clubs kind of offer me again, but I just I kind of just by a point where I thought I want to be back in the UK now, to be honest. So now you're playing in the Northern Ireland Premier for Portadown. Have you found that uh, an overall step up in, in quality compared to the teams you were playing for out in Cyprus? Oh, massively. It's a huge, it's a huge step up like the the calibre of players here is decent and in the league itself is really high standard. You've got your teams with that's got former international players and stuff like that playing and it's it's a it's a huge learning curve for me and the massive adjustment from being abroad. And being abroad I'm one of the biggest lads on the pitch, but now you come in against six foot six defenders and stuff like that and it's kind of showing what you've learned over the course of being it from 18 to now, kind of implementing that on the pitch. Is um, the Northern Ireland League, is it, is it quite a physical league then? You, you mentioned there's some, some pretty huge defenders. Oh, yeah, it's, it is a lot. It's a big physical league and it's kind of taken me some adjustment because it's so, it, like, it's chalk and cheese, the, the contrast between Cyprus and, and the Northern Irish League. It's, it's completely different, but um, yeah, it's been it's been a good experience and stuff, and playing in front of a lot of fans, and the fans here are just they're unbelievable every week. How long are you uh, planning on staying at uh, Portadown then, or when when you contracted until? Well, it's till the end of this season. Uh, when I spoke to Matthew at the time, and we thought to the end of the season was kind of the best idea for everyone because obviously if it didn't, if it wasn't what I was looking for, I'm not in a long contract and vice versa then um so yeah it'll probably just be for the summer and we'll see what happens from there really and then you'll be back on linkedin again presumably yeah i'll probably i'll probably be uh, be on the linkedin account again firing a few messages (laughs) but um you're only 21 years old at the moment and it sounds like you've you've experienced a huge amount in your your footballing career so far. You know, you've you've played in Sweden. You played in two divisions in Cyprus. You, you know, playing in Northern Ireland, and the experiences you you've had must be incredible compared to perhaps other players of your age who are perhaps uh, protected in the in that bubble of whatever club they're in, playing under twenty three football and uh, and all that kind of thing as well. But uh, what I wanted to ask you then was was what are your your plans? going forward then as as a footballer what level of football do you think you can you you could realistically play at my to be honest my goals i remember saying in an interview it's kind of just i want to be playing in england league two league one i think is a comfortable standard for myself but obviously when i'm older and i'm i feel like i'm ready then i feel like the chance will come um, I'm not forcing that move or anything like I, when it's when it happens it's gonna happen and I, I, I know that I can comfortably play at that level um, but like you say it's just kind of getting the getting the chance and stuff as well as is, is, is equally as important because it doesn't matter what happens down the line it's what you're doing now um, so yeah I'm just kind of focusing on myself now and training well and just hopefully getting as much experience as I can here and kind of, well, hopefully get to show the fans how good my goal-scoring ability is. 
Yeah, well, I, I really do hope that you do, you do get uh, that kind of move at some point in the future as well, because playing at sort of League One, League Two level in, in England, if you, you get the right club and you're scoring loads of goals, the fans will absolutely adore you and you will be remembered forever. You know, speaking from my own experience as a, as a Cardiff City supporter, I remember watching them uh, when I first started getting into football, uh, watching them in, in what was Division 3 at the time, you know, the, the bottom division, and my friends and I, we still talk about players now who who we used to watch back then. So if, if you can engineer that kind of move, then yeah, you will be remembered forever. <laughs> so um, I just wanted to, to, to thank you really for, for coming on the show today and, and sharing your experiences. I, I think you've given us uh, some real insight in, into what it's like being a, a young footballer who is trying to, to make a career for themselves. So if anybody um, wants to... To, to follow you on, on social media or to find out a, a bit more about you, perhaps see some goals that you've scored, if you, you know, remember to, to take your camera <laughs> and get them yeah. recorded. Yeah. Um, where's the best place for people to do that? Uh, I've got my Instagram. Um, uh, obviously my Facebook and Twitter and stuff and LinkedIn, obviously. It's, uh, all kind of social media platforms I'm kind of I'm active on and post as much as I can and stuff and and, and it, honestly anywhere I'll, I'll, I'm guessing they'll be in the link or somewhere like that and I'll send them over to you and yeah it's anything on social media really because I've got to live up to the name of social media striker okay great I'll uh, I'll get all of those links from you and I'll put them in the notes then so uh, people can you know add you to uh, all of their accounts and, uh, and and keep track of what you're doing as well. So um, yeah, I, I think we we'll end things there. Thank you so much, uh, Elliot, for for joining me today. Uh, I've really enjoyed this. Uh, like I said from from the top, you're somebody who I've wanted to speak to for about the past six months. So <laughs> you know, I want to want to thank you for for the opportunity of doing that. And um, I'll I'll make a point of uh, following you on on social media as well. Perfect. Thank you for having me on. It's been my pleasure. I've loved doing it. It's been great to chat to you and kind of give you an insight of what my journey's been like so far. If you enjoy Engage, please show your support at engagersclub.com, our exclusive members-only club with enough content, training, and behind-the-scenes access to keep you going until the next episode. That's engagersclub.com. Also, please rate and review this podcast wherever you download them. Stay engaged. <laughs>